Welcome to the Block Podcast. I am Chris Wells. And I'm Carolyn Winner. We are emotionally focused therapists. And we are here to be curious about the blocks in your relationships. And to learn to see those blocks as opportunities to connect. Welcome back. We're, um, we're back again to talk about today competing attachments yeah we're going big for episode two Mm. competing attachments are really objective blocks some of them can be really easy to see how they get in the way of connection and some of them can be a little bit more subtle Um, but the heart of a competing attachment is that it's something or someone that we turn to for comfort that is not our primary partner. Yeah. Like, so when, when we are emotionally dysregulated and we, we have something going on, those are things or people that we, that we go to, that we try to, we go to, to feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they can be all kinds of things. Um, I think the, the biggest one that comes to mind right now in the, in the terms of like society is like your phone. Mm, yeah. You know, you know, when, that's like that that easy dopamine fix and, you know, mm-hmm. you just pull it up and, it, you know, it, it just makes you feel better sometimes, you know, whether it's hopping on social media or, you know, hopping on a, a game on your phone or, you know, whatever it could be. It could be pornography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Right. Right. So, yeah, uh, being on your phone or devices themselves, mm-hmm. right, are very relevant for us right now. Pornography though you can access it on a device, not a new competing attachment historically would often be uh, turning toward uh, pornography, turning toward sexually explicit material as a way of finding soothing or comfort outside of your relationship. It can be people too, you know, like Mm -hmm. it can be a, it can be a best friend. It could be a Mm -hmm. friend in general. It could be a coworker. It could be a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, and not that turning to any of those things in general mm-hmm. for comfort is bad when it blocks us from connecting with our partners is where it becomes an, an an issue i would say yeah we sort of turn to those things or people as a way of getting through you you said emotional dysregulation mm-hmm. you know people might say stress or yeah. feeling bad or upset so when i'm upset I go to my friend and I talk it through and I feel better. And then I go to my partner, but I can't share this with my spouse, Mm -hmm. my girlfriend, my boyfriend. Um, So I go here, I go to this person or I go to distraction Um, or one we haven't mentioned yet is substances. I go Mm -hmm. to alcohol. I go to, you know, CBD is really popular right now. Um, I go to these these people or things to soothe myself and I don't then bring myself or that part of myself back to my relationship. Mm. How does it, um, how does it pull us apart? You know, when we turn to somebody else, as opposed to turning to our, our significant other, to our, to our spouse, to our, our girlfriend, to our boyfriend, um, you know, when, how does that affect the relationship when we, when we turn away? Yeah. I mean, one thing I can think of just as you asked that question is that in terms of, I don't think priority is the right word, 
right? But it's almost like I'm not sharing this part of me with you. Mm. Maybe because I'm afraid of what you might say, what you might think. I'm I'm maybe expecting that you wouldn't be able to meet my need. Mm. Uh, it can definitely be seen as like a relationship enhancing mood, and I think or move. And I think some people might even advise folks to do that, not knowing that it's it can be a very slow erosion of the connection. Yeah. Um, so I think it can get in the way of connection because now there are parts of me that you know nothing about. Mm. And in that moment, it might not seem like a big deal, but down the road, uh, how many parts of me do you not know? And how does it impact our relationship when those parts of me get touched on by that situation happening again, sure. that stress happening again? Because then, you know, as opposed to it just being something, well, I just don't feel comfortable talking to my to my spouse about it, to my significant other. It becomes a secret. Mm. It becomes something that is that you are it gets easier and easier to not tell them about these things or, you know, it becomes more difficult over time to make that risk to say, you know, what's going on or what you know, what what you're feeling, because whatever fear was driving that to start with is it just it gets amplified. Yeah, and now I have this secret and therefore connection to this other person or this other thing that I don't have with you. Mm. So that would be an easy way of seeing how it can get in the way of connection. And I I like that you use the word secret, and I think it's a really great place to talk about the different difference between having a secret and Mm. kind of being private, right? We're not meaning to say you need to tell your partner absolutely every single thing (laughs) that you think, feel, or do, Um, but it's okay to have some privacy, uh, of course, but at the same time, we're, we're competing attachments are in order to call it a competing attachment, it means it's a it's a person or a thing or a place that we go to routinely yeah. uh, that becomes a primary place for us and our partner doesn't get to be a part of our primary need yeah. Yeah. or experience. Sure. Um, and this just came up for me just now, just thinking about, you know, you know, from a... I would say from a guy's perspective, that's really stereotypical and like, not like (laughs) this is, it doesn't necessarily have to be from a guy's perspective, but, um, from my perspective, but you're speaking as a guy, I'm speaking, I'm speaking as a guy and from, from my my perspective, sometimes it's like, maybe we don't, we don't think we need comfort in those things. Mm. We don't think that we, um, that we, that we have an emotional need right there, you know? you know, we're, we're kind of socialized and taught that, you know, emotions are dangerous. And, you know, if you, if you get, you know, if you express these things or you're, you, you know, you're going to get burned, you know, or you're going to be seen as weak, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so we're like, we'll just, we'll just take it on and internalize it. You know, we're not, we're going to bottle it up and not, you know, not, not, not worry about it. Um, but we still turn to things when those things are coming up for us. Right. Even though we're, we're not, um, Maybe not on the surface recognizing because we've we've had so much practice. We've had so much we've developed the strategy over such a long time, long mm-hmm. term, that we don't realize we have an emotional need there. You know, we we don't realize that we're, you know, turning to our phone or turning to pornography or turning to um whatever it is to distract us, you know, alcohol, substance, you know, 
hobbies. Yeah. You know, anything that, you know, maybe keeps us from feeling this, this bad thing, um, that, you know, turn into those things makes us feel better when in reality, if we could just figure out how to, you know, turn to our spouse with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and take it to them. What a, what a difference that makes in how much we're able to handle in our lives. Mm. Um, but I, I think sometimes we don't even realize we have competing attachments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... Can I jump in right yeah, there? Yeah, please. But please. can you hold that place? Because that yes. is a really good place. But you you kind of mentioned from a guy's perspective. And I do think that generally a lot of men would agree with you, right? That this is this kind of suffering silently goes maybe a little bit hand in hand with masculinity, but you're making a really good point that it's not always seen as suffering because of, you know, kind of the the way we raise men. Suffering's admirable. Right, right. That makes you strong. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that that speaks generally to a male experience, right, from what I've um, gathered, but it's not exclusive to men. And I think that maybe was what you were sensing when you said that, is that uh, we mentioned in the in the previous episode withdrawers and pursuers, mm-hmm. and not all withdrawers are male, though most males yeah. kind of identify as a withdrawer. And so you will also hear a lot of women say, that's weak, right? Mm-hmm. Because they haven't had positive experiences with their own vulnerable reaching uh, and sharing being seen as... Um, yeah, they haven't had positive experiences with no. that. So I do think that that speaks to men but generally, but I think it also speaks to some women too. Mm. Yeah, and it's it feels like a, we've talked about a risk, you know, to mm-hmm. to express those things, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, and sometimes we might not even have the language to to express them. So we turn to something we don't have to have language for. We don't have to give language for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we can just, we can go there and get that comfort that we're, we're seeking, we're looking for, and then just kind of move on. And, and it's much easier to, to push down whatever was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, I jumped in there because mm-hmm. I thought you were making such a good point about, <laughs> you know, speaking from a guy's perspective. And I was like, wait, can we come back to that place? And I don't remember that. Place okay. that you were going I'd, to. I don't remember it either. Okay. I'm sure it'll get there. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to it. All right. That sounds good. Um, so in all of this, you know, are we are we trying to say that we can't give any attention to anything else but our spouse? Like we can't go anywhere else mm-hmm. to express these or to get these needs met, you know, other than our spouse. What if our spouse isn't around to to meet that need? What if they're not available? What if they are distracted? Right. And I think Right. No, we're not saying that you can only share this with your spouse or you must share it with your Mm -hmm. spouse first. Um, Even if you do turn toward a parent or a friend or someone else, a coworker, a colleague to process something, do you then come back and share it with your spouse? Mm. Um, I think what we mean when we say competing attachments is that these are the, the sources of our soothing And it can be very tricky to find soothing and then go back and shake the snow globe up again in sharing it with your spouse. So what more often happens is I go here for soothing. I'm all better. (laughs) 
somewhat. And then I come back to my relationship and I don't revisit this or share it. Um, and so that would be a barrier to connection and it would be a leave the door open to possibility that we drift away from each other. Sure, sure. And it, it opens the possibility of us turning more and more and more to mm-hmm. this competing attachment. Right. Um, and I'll, you know, just say we, we're going to share personal stuff. This is a personal story to me. This is something that I fell into that trap, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in my marriage. And, um, you know, I, I had a struggle with pornography, um, and I would turn to that for, for comfort a lot. Um, but I, you know, at a point when, when things were really bad, I turned to, to other, other people, another person, you know, to, you know, to, for emotional connection for somebody that I felt would listen. Mm -hmm. Um, and not that my wife wouldn't listen. Right. I just wasn't available to her. Mm -hmm. And, but turning to somebody else was, was comforting. Mm -hmm. And then that became an outlet for, you know, for being able to, to get emotional needs met. And, um, but it turned me away from, away from my spouse when, if I, you know, <laughs> I don't recommend doing that to anybody right. because the healing part of that is, is, Ugh. is agonizing. Yeah. You know? Um, but the healing from that, the beginning of that healing was a sitting down and basically like a confession of everything. Um, it was something that I had heard years ago that actually kind of got me to a place where I was like, God, that really makes sense. And why haven't I done this before? What, you know, um, but a, a, a pastor that was, was preaching a message to us, it was a, it was on a, a marriage sermon and, um, said that before he and his wife got married, uh, he wanted to make sure that she never heard anything about him mm. that she didn't know already. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, my wife doesn't know so much about mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. we've been married for, you know, a lot of years at this point. Right. Um, at, at least, I don't know, 12 years, I think. Um, maybe, maybe less. I don't know. Somewhere in, in that, in that time frame. Not a short amount of time. No. A time where it would be expected yeah. that you would know a lot you about each other. You should know everything about your spouse right. that far into marriage. You right. should know everything in, about your spouse before you get married. But so, and I realized, God, there's so much that she doesn't know about me. And why am I holding this back from her? Why am I, why am I keeping these things from her? Why am I turning to these other things mm-hmm. to, to get these needs met? And, you know, it just, it became a revelation to me. That's part of my, my, my story, my salvation story. But, you know, sitting down with her and just basically spilling my guts about everything. I mean, from the time I was a kid up until, up until now, um, was really agonizing, but at the same time connecting, mm-hmm. it made so much sense after that. And then she opened up to me, holy cow. I mean, yeah. to be able to, to take something that's so painful, um, to be open with it, to be vulnerable with it, and then to have that turn around. And then you get, you get that same thing in return when kind of you're expecting, you know, get out of my house. Right. You need to leave. You need to pack your stuff and go. And that might, that might've been, you know, that this isn't everybody's story. Right. You know, this right. was, it it's, it's go unique that way to sometimes. us. And, it, you yes. know, there are certain things that, you know, would have blocked her from being able to respond to that. Um, but it's, don't follow that same path, you mm-hmm. know, be open from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't been open from the beginning, let's, 
figure out a way to do it. Right. You know, because right. when we start turning to other places to get those needs met, it never ends well. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's really incredible, Chris, that, yes, we said we were going to share our own stories, but for you to share that here and now, because mm-hmm. in your story is the heart of this podcast that for very good reasons, there was a block in your relationship, a block within you of sharing with your with your spouse, right? Of or of turning toward her. Yeah. And that block had you turn towards some competing attachments. Yeah. Which really is sort of like a pseudo connection, right? Like a like a it's real, but it's not really real. Right. And uh it it also prevented you from having the depth of connection in your marriage. And I love what you said. It's not just you sharing, but it's that reciprocation of the vulnerable sharing that brings that depth of connection. Mm-hmm. And so that's the the essence of what we want to do here is just be real about these things that do get in the way. Yeah. And what you're saying is that was a major opportunity in your marriage and it shifted the course of I I don't think it's dramatic to say your whole life. No. And it's not just you, it's your family. Sure. If I had not turned away from competing attachments and turned towards my wife in that moment, I would be divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly worse than divorce, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I was really struggling with my own mental health at that point. And, you know, being able to turn to her, gosh, I, I mean, I, I was, I started to be, become healed of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, not that I don't struggle with, you know, mental health issues now with depression, anxiety. Sure. I think everybody yes. does. Yes. Um, to some degree or another. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I have a much better outlet of being able to regulate that. And, you know, knowing that I've got somebody that's, that's there for me, that even through all of the junk mm-hmm. that I laid out is like, okay, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it does give you so much resiliency and energy, right, to go on about your life. And in in my marriage, we had the opposite experience. There was a competing attachment in my marriage, and that did not get resolved. It was a known competing attachment, and um, it really was a wedge, one that was not overcome. And it wasn't just that my spouse turned toward this competing attachment. It was also, we, we sort of mentioned our, our um, patterns, right, that we in relationships can have a negative cycle. Mm. But it was the turning toward that competing attachment. And then the challenge of also, or making that change, right, to turn toward the relationship and to do that repair work that you said is really agonizing. Not everyone chooses that. And so fortunately for you, you have this like wonderful success story. And you mentioned not everybody has that. And here we are having very different experiences. And, you know, fortunately in my story, uh, my ex and I have great care and affection for each other. We value each other, but our story did not continue um, where we were spouses. Yeah. And I have great hope that someday 
right? That work might be done because I think what you're describing is when we can turn away from the competing attachment and turn toward our primary partner, we gain so much freedom. We're not stuck yeah. with the, that coping mechanism. Right. And the coping mechanisms are, are okay to, to a certain extent. I mean, you need something to regulate that stuff when your spouse isn't there. But being able to come and talk about those things and, and, and be able to be open, you know, and not be, not be stuck in that place where you just feel like you can't is, is it is it's freedom. It's freeing. It, mm-hmm. I mean, um, and that's my heart for everybody is mm-hmm. to be, to be able to be like that. It, that's not everybody's story though. I right. Mean, right. Well, and there's freedom. Uh, there's lots of ways to get that, but I love what you're saying um, that we aren't saying you can't have hobbies. You can't, mm-hmm turn to your phone. You can't have a drink of alcohol. You can't process this with a friend or a family member. What we're saying is when when all of those examples that I listed are competing as attachments, it's a go-to. Yeah. And there can be something kind of um, compulsive about it. You know, when we talk about addiction, for example, there's this compulsive need, this compulsive yeah. reach, which means it's very habitual. And when when those examples are not competing attachments, when we are able to turn to our partner and find reconciliation and soothing and comfort, then go play golf, go hunting, go play a game on your phone. Um, Yeah, let's share a drink over a meal or have a girl's night out and talk things through. Um, But those things are sort of rightly ordered. So if competing attachment is problematic, um, we want our attachments to be rightly ordered mm. or rightly prioritized. Yeah, so those like things, that. yeah, I got that from someone. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it might be Pete Scazzaro. It might not be. It might be Kurt Thompson. Yeah. Um, but rightly ordered attachments mm. where... Um, Everything kind of has its proper place and serves its proper purpose. Um, and competing attachments are where those things get out of order. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you have to go home to your to your spouse, to your mm-hmm. significant other. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're turning somewhere else, that's not where you're where you're laying your head at night. Right. You know, and how much how much better would life be if that was a place where you felt really secure and really, you know, that 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 person was there for you that you know that that you could tell them anything and they're not going to turn around and walk away they're mm-hmm. not going to think you're an idiot they're not going to you know say oh you're too much mm-hmm. you know that you can trust that they're going to be like mm, that really sucks mm-hmm. i'm i'm right here for you right and i think the fullest equation of that is when we have that with our partner but we also have that with ourselves mm. When we can lay our head down, because we we go to bed with ourselves yeah. at night as much as we do with a partner, and so when we can be very at ease and at peace with ourselves because we have taken that risk, because we have received that support that we need, um, everything. A, a word I keep using lately is it feels more complete, hmm. right? And all of these things take time. And there's a process to it, so it's it's not an easy um, 
to use the word process again, it's not an easy process to, yeah. to go from recognizing the competing attachments in our life and shifting that and more rightly ordering our, our attachments. But yeah. it's manageable. It's doable. Sure, it's possible. Because it's a risk. There's a reason why we're not turning to our spouse. It could be fear, mm-hmm. fear of, of their response, fear of fear of how it makes us feel, um, you know, fear of being, you know, criticized or, you know, it could be, there's a lot of things that are keeping us from turning to our spouse. So, and that's kind of where we need help to, to kind of unravel that, Mm -hmm. you know, we can, we can say all day, okay, yeah, don't turn to these different things, these competing attachments, you know, turn to your spouse, but there's something that's, that's keeping you from turning to your spouse. That's why you're turning to these, to these other things. Um, and a lot of times we need help unraveling that because it's not, it's never simple. Yes. There's, it's always complicated. There's always multiple layers. There's the relationship you had with your parents that she had with her parents that you have with her parents or she has with your parents mm-hmm. or, you know, friends, siblings, you know, different relationships. There's, there's spider webs everywhere of yeah. these different things that keep us from wanting to turn to our spouse mm-hmm. in those, in those situations or our significant other boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, and that's where we need support trying to figure those things out. Right. Because we can't do it alone. I mean, you you can. It's it's even less less easy. It's yeah. it's so much more difficult. Right. But you 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 almost have to have some support to be able to do sure. that. You know, whether it is just, you know you and your spouse, and then somebody that you really trust, or whether it's a therapist, mm-hmm. whether it's a a pastor. You know, you, you know, you usually you need somebody to be there to be a, a buffer guardrails whatever to to kind of help support you in that because mm-hmm. that's not easy Mm-mm. it's no. not easy because there's a lifetime of junk that's preventing you from right from turning to your spouse a lot right. of times so what we are saying we're not saying don't turn toward competing attachments turn towards your significant other what we are saying is we all turn to toward competing attachments for very good reasons yes and what we're saying is can you be curious about the competing attachments in your life and can you uh, consider what that might do to your connection Mm. to continue to turn toward those competing attachments versus taking the risk to turn toward your safe people toward your significant other maybe they don't feel safe because we're not doing that turning sure but that would be the way to create that safety sure because a lot of times these 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 competing attachments existed before your relationship with right. with your significant other right. so it would make sense that it is so hard to turn away from that and ter- turn towards them when that's that could have been a survival mechanism for right. you you know right. a way that you were just you, that's what you had to do to get by was to turn to this thing or this right. person right because um, you didn't have another option right um but you bring that into your marriage and then that 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 just hurts you know you bring that into the, the relationship and it just it prevents you from having that lasting, secure connection with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is sort of magical when this can happen in relationships. Or I think this is the the power that we find in connection is mm-hmm. that where we did not have an option, where we didn't even know we could have this need met or have this amount of safety and therefore take all the more risks that we can take 
is that we can find that in connection. So relationships don't ever have to be boring or stagnant or um, stale. Yeah. There's always something to be gained, um, but it's a really, really good challenge to get there. Yeah. And how do we get there? Be curious. Be curious. If you were feeling stuck or if anything in this episode resonated with you, where this is kind of going on in your relationship and you'd like some more support through this, um, we've got some resources for you. Yeah, you might want the support of an EFT therapist, and you can find one in your area by going to ICEEFT.com and search by location. Or we would love to have you attend one of our workshops, and we will include registration information in the show notes.